We are continuing our our time of worship, now opening up God's Word, and uh, this Sunday is a little bit of a transition. We've been looking through the summer at uh, the parables of Jesus, summer stories, I call that, just a little glimpses into this is what the kingdom of God is like. And as we get into the fall, beginning next week, we're going to look at wisdom literature. Specifically, we're going to start with the Proverbs, uh, which Proverbs 1 verse 1 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we're going to look at the fear of the Lord. We're going to look at how God leads us into wisdom, doing the right thing at the right time and for the right reasons. And so today on this long weekend is a little bit of a hinge between those two focuses where we've been. The parables... I hope, have reminded us over the summer how one of the themes of Scripture works. That God acts and we respond. Maybe we respond positively. Maybe we respond negatively. Maybe we are disinterested. But we see this pattern repeated in Scripture time and time again. God acts, His people respond. Yet when we, if, if we start with our own personal lives, often we feel like it's exactly the opposite way around. Our experiences seem to tell us that we're on our own. And then maybe we do something or we try something or we risk something and then hope or wonder if God responds, if God reacts. Scripture and other people's experiences in community help us see that God has always been with his people, leading, guiding, and acting, and inviting us to respond. God continues to be at work in our world today in the same way that he was in the past. And when we imagine ourselves reaching out to him, we often find he has been drawing us close. When we feel he has abandoned us because we don't see him at work, later we find that we actually have turned our backs on him. We step out in obedience and hope only to find that God has already gone before us to pave the way. This is what is happening in Joshua 4, which we're going to read five or six verses from. The Israelites have taken one big step of obedience. If you know the story of Exodus, then you know that they fled Egypt at God's prompting and command and instruction. And then they were, uh, God provided them a way through the Red Sea. And again, when they wandered in the wilderness, they came to the Jordan River. And it seemed like they were stuck, but again, God went before them and opened up a path for them to walk through. And this is the story that I'm going to read for us in just a minute. That this time as they crossed the river... They take with them 12 big smooth stones from the riverbed and they pile them all up on the the other side, the far side of the river after they have crossed it. And they set up those stones as a response to God's provision and faithfulness, a reminder for them that God has provided and they respond, but also a reminder for the next generation. So let me read for us uh, Joshua chapter 4. We're going to read, start at verse 19. And read through verse 24. So this is after the Israelites have crossed that Jordan River, after God has uh, parted the waters for them. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. 
And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that they had taken out of the Jordan River. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did this to the, did to the Jordan what the Lord had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might know or that you might always fear the Lord your God. So far, the reading of God's word. When I read that story and preparing this message again, it struck me that it takes a lot of faith to set up a stone marker like that. It takes a little bit of strength to carry these rocks out of the river and then carry them some distance to the next town. But it takes a lot of faith not only to profess God has been with us and delivered us, but also faith to say, and God will be with us going forward. Faith that God will bless our children and grandchildren, the next generation, and that our next generation will want to know the goodness of God, that they will respond to him in faith as well. This is one of the reasons why later in the Old Testament, in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, this pile of rocks is shared again, given again, and it, there is, it's called an Ebenezer. Maybe you've heard that word before. Samuel takes a stone in 1 Samuel 7 verse 12, and he sets it up uh, in another city between Mizpah and Shen, and he names it an Ebenezer, saying, thus far has the Lord helped us. Now, you know that I'm a little bit of a geek, and I like Hebrew among other languages, and so I just have to tell you that Ebenezer is actually two Hebrew words pushed together. Eben is the word for stone, and Ezer is the word for helper or partner. And so Ebenezer is literally a stone helper or a stone partner. It's, a, it's something physical reminder that works alongside of God's people to jog our memories, to remind us of God's faithfulness in the past, and to steady us as we trust God's faithfulness in the future. We live in a complex, busy, complicated world. And it strikes me that, on the one hand, that has always been the case. There's a Swedish guy who wrote a book a few years back about progress. And he said, uh, the, the problem with today's problems is that they haven't been solved yet. The problems of the past don't seem as big because they've, the story's over. They've been solved. The path has been found. But today's challenges always seem bigger because they're in process. The story's not over yet. So in some ways, our challenges are no different than the challenges of those who have gone before. The only difference is we are currently living ours and yet, for, for that, our challenges are more challenging because they're more present. They're in our face. And just like God's people in the Old Testament, we also need reminders, physical reminders in a world of pain and suffering, 
a world of busyness and distraction, a world of comparison and isolation. We are always forgetting to keep our eyes on Jesus. And so we need reminders. Claire Davis, uh, who's an author, doesn't matter. Um, He says, Christians always suffer from amnesia and deja vu. We're forever saying, I know I've forgotten this before. Have you ever experienced that? We say to ourselves, I know I should keep my eyes on Jesus. I can't believe I got distracted again. I I know that God wants every part of my life devoted to him. I can't believe I took big chunks of it back again. I know it's good to be with God's people in worship and in mission and in fellowship. I can't believe I forgot again and went my own way again. We need Ebenezer's. We need these stone helpers, whether they're real rocks or not. Physical reminders of God's faithfulness in the past and our decision and desire to trust him in the future. So I brought with me a stone today. This is a stone that uh, I plucked out of the Mediterranean Sea last November. I was, uh, went to the south of Spain in November to visit my good friend Andrew, who for over a decade had been a significant part of God's provision and love and care for me and for Kaylee. Um, and I was in the Mediterranean, and it was freezing in Calgary, and so I just had to go swimming. So in November, like the crazy tourist that I was, I jumped into the Mediterranean Sea, and I, I stepped on this rock. And it's smooth, it didn't hurt me, but I, for some reason in that moment, I, I went down into the water and I grabbed the rock out of the sand and I thought, this will be a good souvenir. It's free. I'm Dutch, so I like free. But it'll be a good reminder of this wonderful trip. Now, little did I know that a few months, short months later in February, I went back to the Mediterranean because my friend died suddenly. And when I went back, I took my souvenir rock with me. And that second visit obviously was very different from the first. The second visit was painful and grieving. It was sad to know that my friend was no longer there to see his body and to grieve with others who had loved him. But every day after we went to the cemetery, after we went to the funeral, after we sat and grieved together, I went back to my room and I had my little rock in my suitcase. And I just held it in my hand. And I remembered God's goodness to me through Andrew. Not just in that little... uh, brief visit in November, but through years of conversations and trips and fun and, uh, and pain and arguments, all the things that relationships are built of, I held the rock in my hand and I remembered God's goodness to me through this man, through our relationship. All of us have those kinds of experiences whether we have a rock in our pocket when we walk around or not. All of us have stories and experiences that ground us in our identity as people and in our relationships with others. 
For all of us, the stories, the reminders that we have are formative in both joyful and also painful ways. None of us has just a joyful life. None of us has just a painful life. We all have stories that make us proud and stories that make us ashamed. We all have stories that show our relationship with God at its best and demonstrate moments when we are far from Him. Or maybe we didn't care one bit about who God is or whether we call ourselves a Christian or not. We all have these stories. And I want to invite you this morning to wonder what yours is. What's your Ebenezer? Can you look back on your life, whether you, have a, whether you have a rock in your pocket or not, can you look back on your life and see some moment when you say to yourself, thus far, God has helped me. Thus far, God has helped us. When we think of souvenirs, or maybe now you know a new word, so when you think of Ebenezer's, we might like to think of the good things. We might... Uh, especially given that our, our culture focuses on good and tells us to be positive, forget about the bad. But like my rock from Malaga, maybe your stories are beautiful memories that have become painful. Maybe your stories are difficulty and struggle that God was there too. My rock reminds me that God was with me in the joy of ministry, in the joy of life, and the joy of being a disciple and learning from this man. And my rock continues to remind me that God continues to be faithful, even after Andrew's death, by giving and teaching me new things about him, teaching me to depend on him in new ways and look in new places, to, to new people for his provision. You might not have brilliant moments of success in your life. You may not have beautiful vacations or the chance to jump in a warm ocean or sea in the winter. But God has been with you too. These Ebenezers, these stone helpers, are not about reminding us who we are. They're not about reminding us what we did. They're reminders of who God is and what God continues to do. Ebenezer's remind us of our true identity, that at our core, we are cared for by God. Paul reminds us using secular uh, poetry of his day in Acts 17. He says, as some of your own poets have said, the Greek poets, in him we live and move and have our being. Ebenezer's remind us of our true identity. And so in this way, they become a window into the gospel, the good news of God's love for humanity in general and God's love for you and for me. Ebenezer's, these Stone helpers, these physical reminders, are one of the ways in which the big story of the gospel becomes real to us and personal for us. 
It's how the good news crystallizes in our hearts and becomes my good news or our good news. Good news that fills me up. And then I flow, that flows out from me to share with others and to do everything or affects everything I do. This is not just me saying this. The Apostle Paul takes this same approach when he writes to Timothy, who he calls his son in the Lord. In 2 Timothy 2, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. Look at that last line. This is my gospel. This is my gospel, Paul says, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here's a trustworthy saying. He's just told us about his gospel, and now he says, here's something for you to take home. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Did you catch that? I hope you did. That Paul talks about my gospel. Paul's in prison. That's where the gospel, the good news, has led him. But the word of God has set him free. And will, he trusts, set him free again. Paul knows that the story of Jesus Christ doesn't belong to him. Paul knows that the Bible isn't focused on him. He's not saying this is what the gospel is about and it's all about me. No, he's saying my gospel is how the big story has shaped my life. Paul has experienced the grace of God and the provision of God and the faithfulness of God that have brought him to where he stands. And even though he stands or sits in prison, he says, thus far the Lord has helped me. And he points to specific instances and experiences in his life. Here God was active. There he helped me. He will be with me again. So what about you? What is your gospel? Is the gospel just some big story that's written down in a book that you uh, open up once in a while or you let me open up or Pastor Harrison open up for you? Is the gospel a story that maybe touches, bumps against your life every once in a while? Or is the gospel something that has gotten into you? That you, the, God, is God's love for the world something that you have experienced? That you continue to live, to receive? And when you miss it, you look with hope for the future. If you can think of your Ebenezer, if you can look to the past and say, in that moment, God helped me. God helped us. And that's the beginning of your gospel. In a difficult place, God met you. God helped you. God led you onward. 
All summer, we've heard stories of Jesus telling about the kingdom of God breaking into everyday life. What about you? Is that your life? Is faith or the gospel something abstract, something separate, or has the good news of the kingdom of God touched your life and your heart as well? Has it shaped the way that you live and relate and love and rest in what you pursue? The gospel is a story about the most important thing in the world, a relationship with a creator and sustainer. It strikes me that we almost certainly have more available to us in the West than most people have for most people have today in the world and most people have in history. And along with that, of everything available to us, we have far more desires and interests. We pursue happiness and health. We think we need to control more and more of our schedules. We need to be connected with more and more with others. But God wants us to be holy. God's goal is not to help us figure out our own lives. God's goal is to produce saints, people who experience Him in such a personal way that we are transformed by Him. That every part of our lives is shaped and reshaped by Him. That His story, His good news becomes our story, my story. What about you? When you look back on the joyful and the painful moments of your life, knowing that there's more of both to come, can you see God present, helping you? If you can, then you can say with the Apostle Paul, this is my gospel. This is where God was present with me, how he helped me and led me. How I died, how I suffered, how I endured, and how I will live with him, how I will reign with him, how he is faithful to me. God is present with you in the joy and in the pain. God always acts and initiates and invites us to respond. When we see God, active. We can see that both the joyful and the good things in our lives and the painful and and suffering things in our lives are not ends in and of themselves, but rather experiences that are redeemed and filled with light and with life, even in the face of a broken world, even in the face of suffering or death. When we experience God with us, God helping us, the gospel becomes more compelling to me and to you. That's why as a congregation in general, so many of you love it when I tell personal stories because other people's stories are always compelling and interesting. Personal stories of experiencing big truths help each of us and all of us to see how, we, how our lives, our situations, our experiences are connected to God's bigger love for his world, and for his people. But brothers and sisters, just my, Adrian's, personal stories are not enough. 
God has brought us together as a community because he intends for each one of you to have and to experience the gospel personally and to share that experience with others, not all from up front, but with the people who God has placed in your life. God wants you to see how he's faithful to you, how he has helped and led and guide, guided you, and that you, the person beside you, can trust him now and in the future. God, we want... What a beautiful thing if we can say as a community, God is faithful to me even when my friend or loved one dies. God is good to me even when I struggle with money or bills. God is with me even when I am alone. God heals my soul even while my body remains broken. This far, God has helped me, and I trust that he will help me onward. What is your Ebenezer? What is your gospel? We spend so much of our Christian or church time and energy working on or knowing information or facts about the Bible and about the gospel. And that's important. Our story and our experience of the good news should never overshadow God's word. But God's good and perfect word is no replacement for knowing God personally. And so for the next few months, this is what we'll be looking at. How does God give us wisdom to face the everyday stuff of life? How does God give us wisdom to face our personal situations? As I said in the introduction, Proverbs begins, with the, or begins by saying, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But then looks at many different topics about our own personal, ordinary, everyday lives. And so we'll touch on a number of those as well. To fear the Lord is to begin to be in awe of him. And when you know yourself, when you remember those moments of joy and of pain and you say, God was with me. When you see your situation and when you see that God shows up and helps you and delivers you, then you begin to be amazed and stand in awe of God. So what is your Ebenezer and what is your gospel? And how does it fit? in the big gospel story. As I pray and close this time in prayer, I'm going to invite you to reflect on that question. What is your Ebenezer? What is your gospel? Please uh, bow your heads and come, with, come to God with me in prayer. God, it's a holy and amazing thing that you who created the universe who created the world and with it time that you also want to know each person. That you created us each with dignity and honor. 
and each to uniquely be able to reflect a part of who you are to your world, to others. Thank you, God, that you give us life, that you give us breath, that you give us experiences that shape us and form us. Thank you for the joyful experiences of our lives. And Lord, thank you for the painful experiences of our lives too that shape us and strengthen us. And if we cannot say thank you, Lord, then teach us to learn from and within our pain. God, we ask that you would continue to lead and guide us as a church. That we would be people who would not be shaped by our agenda or our priorities or our desires, but people who are shaped by your goodness. Who can never stop saying, telling, telling our story, saying, God, th- this far you helped me, this far you helped us, and we can't wait to see what next you have for us. So God, we pray that you would lead us and guide us that you continue to provide for us, and that you give us wisdom to see the way you have been good to us in the past, and hearts to trust that you will continue to be good to us in the present and in the future. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.